second. Thanks for joining us today on this 14th day of March. You're joining us in a series where we are walking through the first part of the book of John, a series we've called Beckon, the God who invites you close. And we have seen week over week these amazing encounters that people have with Jesus, the Messiah. And as they're interacting with him, they are seeing amazing things about who he is and who the Father is. And today we continue on. Bill did a great job last week of kind of bringing that second half to the story of the Samaritan woman, which ends up being the story of the Samaritan village. And so we're going to start with that today. If you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 4. There's one more narrative in the end of this chapter. If you um, have our app on your phone, I didn't bring my phone out here, you can go ahead and pull up. If you kind of go to today under resources, you'll see sermon notes. Click to today's date. You can track with us that way, and that will help you be prepared, many of you in home groups, for your conversations throughout the week. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. Well, we're excited. Uh, One of the things, if you have been one of those people who ends up checking your email constantly, I am that person, uh, how many of you noticed this morning that you got a church-wide survey from us, okay? That means that if you haven't raised your hand, you either A, haven't checked your email today, which is totally fine, those went out at 8 a.m. this morning, or that you don't have a valid email with us. And so I just want to remind you what we have been talking about. Greg alluded to it. We're doing a church-wide assessment. What it will look like to your inbox is a survey. There's a a link to click and then a survey to take. And it's extensive. I want to tell you that up, up front. Anyone open the link yet? Anyone get to a question 102? Okay. It's extensive. But let me tell you the value of it. The value is simply not taking another survey. The value is, is working with an organization that we've really come to love and has been highly recommended by our own EFCA West uh, organization, our denomination, is Nancy Moore and Associates. And this is something they have literally done for hundreds of churches. And the value is really on the backside of taking the survey, it's actually the assessment. It's them looking through the data, them looking through the answers, and being able to say the whole goal, here is the pulse, here is where Trinity Church as a congregation is at. And the elders very much want to know that because it's been a season when it's been really hard to know how people are doing, know where people are at, and that's why your voice is so important. So if you didn't get that uh, email and you check your inbox today, then please contact the church. If Trinity Church is what you call home, we want you to take this survey And then know that in April, we'll be having a meeting together to hear directly from Nancy as she shares, this is our assessment of what you told us. So we look forward to that very much. Well, let's get on with our our series today. And as we're moving forward today, what we're going to see is we're going to see Jesus encounter a desperate father. And it's a father who's desperate for his son's life. His son is on the brink of death. And this is an interesting narrative because we can all relate. Maybe you've not had a son or daughter on the brink of death, but most likely by this stage of your life, you have pled with God to heal your loved one. And if you want to, even that's a painful thing today, if you want to get into these sandals of this man and hear the way that he interacts with Jesus, more importantly, the way Jesus interacts with him, We're going to see another time again when God invites someone to come close. And what we're going to see today is we're going to see a man who walks away with faith. 
faith who actually takes Jesus at his word and believes that what Jesus has said is going to happen. That's the big idea what we all can walk away with. And in your now what statement, take Jesus at his word by believing what he has communicated to you in his word. Take Jesus at his word by believing what he has communicated to you in his word. If you're with us, number one in our notes, Jesus' miracles often produced interest from people, but not followership. Jesus' miracles often produced interest in people, but not followership. And so we're going to check it out. We're beginning in John chapter 4, verse 43. It says, after two days... And remember where Bill left us off, he was with the Samaritan village, the village of Sychar, so he spends two days with them. He left for Galilee, the intended goal of where he was always going. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. <clears throat> so we see that this passage directly follows this amazing revival that goes on in this town of Sychar because a woman comes back, and this is her simple testimony, come meet a man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, this town knew this woman, She'd done a lot, and they're blown away by that. And, and then what we find out is this beautiful thing, and Bill walked us through this last week, is they come to a point where they say, hey, we listened to you to get to see Jesus, but now that we've heard him, we believe him based on what he said. Even beyond your testimony, we believe him based on what he's told us. And so we see this really great thing, and that's important to note as we look at the rest of our passage today, is what Jesus did in Samaria. Watch this. He began with a woman at a well that was really an outcast in her own culture, but even more so an outcast to the Jews, of which Jesus' ethnicity and lineage was. So other people like him would have totally scorned her, wanted nothing to do with her, gotten up and walked away the minute she came to the well. Jesus stays and begins a conversation. We also need to note that Jesus started this ministry not only with an outcast woman from an outcast people related to the Jews, but also, according to John, there's no miracles that happen there. Jesus, we don't see of any time with the people in Samaria that Jesus performs a single miracle. It's all him teaching and interacting and communicating with them. And yet they, <clears throat> excuse me, yet they respond in belief. It's essential for our understanding as we move forward in the book of John of what we're going to see in Galilee, that the Galileans, people that where he was from, John made a quick note, a parenthetical statement to remind us that Jesus grew up in Nazareth of Galilee, and yet the Galileans needed something like miracles to believe because that was what they were drawn to him for, and that's important for us to see. So um, this, this note is interesting John says, Jesus had already said, no prophet's welcome in his own hometown, but yet he comes to Galilee, and it's like he's the hometown hero. So what's the point of that comment? And John's alluding to what had happened other times that he had been in Nazareth. One time, the people got so frustrated when he opened up the scrolls and said, these realities of Messiah are fulfilled today in me, in your hearing. They got so mad, they not only ran him out of town, they first tried to run him off a cliff. 
So John's statement is totally accurate. This occurrence, though, is a little bit different, and it's different because of what they had seen. Note what we just read. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival. They had also been there. So like every good Jew, they would have traveled from Galilee up to Jerusalem to be there for the Passover. And then remember what we read in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. So this, there was a stir around. Jesus now had become some sort of a known figure all the way back in John chapter 2, and not just for the people in Jerusalem, but those who were visiting for the festival of Passover went back home like these Galileans did. So when Jesus comes to town, there's a bit of a buzz. There's a sense of interest. This guy is no normal rabbi. This guy does stuff no one can explain. They want more. They want to interact with him, and they want to see more miracles. Now, this had caused back in Jerusalem some people to put their faith in his name, but others, as we saw, as we read later in John chapter 2, were just more than anything, they were interested, but not interested in following and that's what we're going to talk about today. What is the purpose of why Jesus does miracles in the first place? What is he after, and what is their intent? We'll take a look at this map, and we'll show you where Cana in Galilee was in the region. You'll note Galilee is the part that's shaded, and Cana, he goes back to Cana. Cana is where he did this amazing thing of turning water into wine at a wedding celebration. And you'll note Cana's very close to Nazareth. We don't know the exact reason why he ends up in Cana, but what we find out is, is that while he is in Cana, he interacts with a royal official from a nearby town called Capernaum. Look at the next slide, and you'll see the relationship um, if we have that, you'll see, or you can, there it is, you can see it right there. It's not that far away. We'll see later on today. It's about 16 and a half, 17 miles away. But there's a royal official, and royal is an interesting word. Because Rome rules the world at this time, especially this part of Palestine. So what, what are we talking about as far as being a king? Rome had set up these puppet leaders in different places like Galilee. And though, so this king is a powerless political figure ruled by Rome but given oversight over the region. And he had a guy who worked for him. That's this guy. And this guy's son, we're going to see in just a minute, is deathly ill. The key thing to think about when we're talking about Jesus being back at Galilee at this section, at this time in, in the narrative, is that he has done miracles in Jerusalem. The people are very interested, but like we'll see, that interest doesn't necessarily lead to faith. Number two in your notes, believing in Jesus means taking him at his word. Believing in Jesus means taking him at his word. We're continuing on in verse 47. When this man, this royal official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. I don't want you to miss the drama of this story. I don't want you to read right over the fact that there's a desperate dad 
who's so absolutely at the end of his rope. We don't know how long his son had been sick. We don't know what other doctors he had brought to see if they could cure his son. All we know at this point in the story is he is on the brink of death. And there's something about, <clears throat> something about that certainty that death is near that just takes the air out of our lungs. We hear the word terminal. We hear the word, I need to know your loved one's wishes. You hear the phrase, you need to gather your family. And that does something to us like hardly anything else in our lives. That's the stage of where this man's son was at, at the edge of death. And we talked about it earlier today, the story is incredibly relatable, not just to even other seasons in our lives. We've been living in a pandemic. In United States alone, 500,000 plus families have heard words like these. You better gather the family. What are your loved one's wishes? We don't see this turning around. This is an incredibly relatable story because we've either been here or we're gonna be here. And so don't let this just slip past as some guy, and especially if you've heard this story with some blue flannel in the third grade, don't miss the incredible intensity of it. There's no other hope. Don't you find it interesting that this guy isn't looking for better doctors, he's going to a rabbi. That's the extent of his desperation. What is a rabbi, what is a religious teacher going to do to help your kid? Well, I've heard he does things nobody can explain. I've heard that he has supernatural power, and it's the only thing left I know to try. In our family, we haven't been to this edge with our own kids before, but I'll never forget the day. We're living in Victorville, and I had taken Jackson to a UCLA football game the day before, just he and I, and he just got really dehydrated at the game. I, I didn't think much of it. I wasn't being a good dad. It was a game probably like in August, so it was really hot out. And he's in middle school, and so we come home the next day, and as he's kind of getting into Sunday, I'm at church doing my thing, and I get this call in the afternoon from my wife. He just wasn't turning the corner. And she gets him down to Kaiser in Fontana. And they read a temperature of 106. I'm not a doctor, but that's not good. I'd never heard of a temperature that high in my life. And so they rushed him to the emergency room to try to get fluids and get him back. I won't forget that moment. And I did what any parent would do. I begged Jesus to save his life. That's what you've done. And that's what this man did. And I want you to be, I want you to be in this story because that's the way that he comes to Jesus with that sense of concern and desperation in emotion. He didn't just even represent himself. He represented most likely a wife. He represented most likely his other sons and daughters. A whole family is going to be deeply affected by this son's passing. 
And he runs to a Jewish rabbi and he says, please, please heal my son. I want you to imagine not only his desperation, but I want you to imagine what it's like to be there when he hears Jesus' answer. I just read over it because I was just reading the text, but I want you to reread this with me. Look at what Jesus says. He is saying, Jesus, please heal my son. And Jesus says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. What? (laughs) That does not sound like the loving, kind, compassionate Jesus that I know in the rest of the New Testament, that I see in the rest of the Gospels, this sounds incredibly harsh. It sounds incredibly unkind. It seems dismissive. You're not the first guy who's come begging for someone to be healed, is what it smacks to us. But I want you to see something. There's something that we've learned a lot at Trinity in the last few months about understanding the tense of verbs. When we were looking in Ephesians 6 about spiritual warfare and we saw the idea of put on the armor of God, we didn't see it as you individually, but y'all. Y'all are called to put on, we all are called to put on the armor of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's talking in the second person plural. So there must be a crowd. He's not talking one-on-one with this guy. He's probably talking to a group of people, maybe even teaching. And this guy kind of bursts through and interrupts. But in that moment, Jesus says, unless y'all, all of you Galileans, unless you all see signs and wonders, y'all will never believe. So we know that Jesus' comment isn't directed directly or only at him, as though, how dare you bother me? But what Jesus is paying attention to is, and we're going to see this again and again in John's gospel, people love the circus. People love the show. We're going to find in John 6, people love a free lunch. And they keep coming back for more. But Jesus didn't come to wow us. Jesus didn't come to put on the show. Jesus didn't come to do tricks. Instead, what Jesus came to do was to demonstrate himself to be the long, long awaited awaited Messiah and to present himself to the Galileans, to the Judeans, to the Samarians, and to the whole world as exactly that, the savior of the world. What Jesus knows that this group of Galileans need is more than another miracle. They need belief. And he knows that even in this moment, whatever he's going to do next, most likely they're not gonna be moved to belief. They're just gonna keep wanting to be wowed. I think that's what Jesus' statement is about. It comes across very abrupt. But he's talking to the crowd as well and saying, you're just looking for more tricks. I came to show you your need for faith, your need for a savior. It's reminiscent of the passage we just looked at in John 2. Look at the rest of it. 
Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. Some did that, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Jesus wasn't looking to be popular. Jesus was looking to be followed. And we have a group of disciples that are going to keep following even when the crowds turn away. And you need to catch that today. That's what Jesus is after. That's the purpose of miracles, is to develop faith in people so that they would follow Jesus. Some of you have an interesting story. Your, your narrative, your journey of coming to faith in Christ is actually somewhat similar to this. There was a time in your life when things were incredibly desperate and you started negotiating with God. God, if you will only save my marriage. God, if you will only heal my loved one. God, if you will only rescue me from this horrible financial place that I'm in. And you made a deal with God. And here's the interesting thing. In that time and space, he said yes. And what came off to you when you were calling out to God for help and he said yes, you took it only as the fact that he just did something supernatural, miraculous in your life. And watch this, you placed your faith in him. It doesn't happen to all of us, but it's happened to some of us. And in that moment, God's working in your circumstances did exactly, it led exactly to what you needed Initial faith, initial belief to say, God, I was just kind of putting this out there. I had no idea really you could or would do it, but you did, and I believe. Sometimes I interact with people who have stories like that, and, and it will be incredibly just circumstantial things, meaning God was in it, but I wouldn't call it a miracle, but to them it sure was. God did this amazing thing, and, and you know what? At the end of the day, that's what it's all about, is that leading you to a point of saying, God, you're real, and I believe in you. That's what Jesus did miracles for then. That's why he still does them today. The official pleads again for Jesus to come to his home and heal, to touch his son. But Jesus simply replies, go, your son will live. Go, you can leave. Your son's going to live. Another way of saying it, I don't need to come to your home. Trust me, your son is going to make it. Here's the wild thing. That's exactly what the man did. I want you to go back to that point of desperation when you thought about something and someone that you care deeply about on the brink of death, and, and Jesus tells the man, go home, he's going to make it. If, if I'm that guy, you know what I want? I want some kind of collateral, <laughs> uh, based on what, uh, Jesus? I, I want to say, would you at least walk with me halfway and, and we'll see what happens. I want something because in my heart of hearts, if a guy tells me 16 and a half miles away from where my kid is lying, dying, that he's gonna be fine and it's gonna take me a while to walk back and see what happens, I don't wanna come back empty handed. But here's the wild thing. He doesn't because he has faith. We're gonna see a progression of his faith today and the first begins with this idea of crisis faith. 
crisis faith of in the midst of crisis, calling out to God and saying, God, would you please? What this man does is really profound. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. The man believed. The man had faith in Jesus. You see, as startled as your response should have been about Jesus' response when the man first comes to him, you should be equally blown away by this man's response. Okay, I believe you. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to go see him. That leads not only initially to a crisis of faith, but then confident faith. A confidence that says, Jesus, if you said it, that means I believe it. I know it's going to be true. I'm going to start walking home. It reminds me of a verse that you and I know, and for good reason, almost the, you could say the Bible textbook definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is confidence, confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There's no better description for what this man did than faith. Confidence in what we hope for. I'm, I'm confident in the fact that Jesus has healed my son and I'm assured of what I yet don't see but I believe is gonna happen. I wanna ask you a question today. I wanna move away from the world of healing and I wanna move away to that of what you can know. Here's what I mean by that. This man heard directly from Jesus, your son will live. That was a promise that he made, and we're gonna see in a moment a promise he fulfills. Here's my point. When you were in desperation, when I was begging Jesus for Jackson's life, did I hear him tell me Jackson's gonna make it? No. I prayed, and I asked him, but I didn't have that kind of assurance, except for I could only put my hope and faith that Jesus might. Jesus tells this man he will live. And so simple question for you and I today, what are the things that Jesus has told us, he's promised to us will happen our hours that we have put our confidence in? What are the applicable promises of Jesus that he's made to you that you have taken him at his word? I have a few for you, and they only come, these are just scraping the surface. They're only from the Gospel of John, only from this letter. Listen to the things that Jesus has promised you, and I want you to evaluate as I give these to you. Have you trusted, have you put your faith in him for what he's promised? The first one is he's promised you life. Life, John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. Abundant life is what Jesus has promised you. Secondly, acceptance. Acceptance by him. John six thirty seven. All those the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Boy, in a world that is so full of a cancel culture, to know that Jesus says, I will accept you and hold tight, that's powerful. Have you believed him for that? Revelation, John 14, 21, meaning God revealing himself to you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. 
The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them, watch, and show myself to them. Have you believed God that he is constantly revealing himself, his ways, his character to you? Love and joy. John 15, 9 through 11, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Verse 11, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus has promised you his love and his joy. Have you taken him at his word? Difficulties. This, is, this list isn't all awesome. <laughs> John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. It's gonna happen. And I don't need to tell you that as though that's some new idea for you today. But Jesus told us, count on it. But take heart. He says, I've overcome the world. Have you leaned in, taken him at his word, that he knew, he told you in advance that there would be difficulties. And finally, eternity with Jesus, John 14, three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Here's my point. I have not heard from Jesus other promises than what I know in his word but I have those. I've given you seven just as a cursory from the book of John alone. Will we have the faith of this father when Jesus said, go, he's going to be healed, that we would take Jesus at his word for these things he's promised us? Second question, first question is, have you put your confidence in Jesus for these things he's promised you? Secondly, from this list or other places, in what things have you not put your confidence in Jesus for what he's promised you? Are any of these seven or any other things that you know the Bible says, this is something from God you can bank on it? That you've said, eh, I'm, uh, I don't know. And here's my point. I don't ask you the second question to hammer you with guilt because I think every one of us has multiple places we'd say, Jesus, you have promised X. But in my life, I really struggle to put my confidence there. I really struggle to trust you for that. And, and if that's the case of where you're at, can I just remind you of another father who was begging Jesus to save his son and his posture of faith is something you and I, we can all relate to. From Mark 9, 24, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus, I do believe in your promises. The problem is I, I don't show that I believe in all of them. I don't take you at your word for all of them, so help me in my unbelief. Finally today, number three, when Jesus' miracles result in faith, it's often contagious. When Jesus' miracles result in faith, it's often contagious. Chapter four, verse 51. While he was still on the way, meaning the man who had left Jesus, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. 
When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Watch. So he and his whole household, he and his whole oikos believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming to Judea from Galilee. From Galilee, I'm sorry, to Judea. From, nope, I got it right the first time. From Judea to Galilee. Todd's having inversion here. I want you to know this. Evidence of the man's faith was the moment he heard Jesus say, go, your son will be well. Evidence of that was when he started walking. Can you imagine if Jesus said, go, your son will be well, and he just stands there? Really? <laughs> I mean, is there something, can you write something out like I promise? I mean, is there, is there something more? Nope. And he walked away. Now, I said earlier that the distance from Cana to Capernaum is about 16 and a half miles. I was charting it out on a map. That would be a little shorter than walking from here to Cal State San Bernardino. I don't want to do that walk, okay? That's a long ways. But that's about the distance from Cana to Capernaum. So it takes a while to get there. And as he's on his way, as he's drawing closer, servants find him, and they tell this amazingly great news. Exactly what he went for and what Jesus said was going to happen, happened. And note this in your notes. That alone was reason to celebrate, but remember, Jesus' purpose for healing went well beyond someone's physical body being mended, but to their heart turning and believing in him. Jesus' purpose for healing went well beyond a body being mended because a body in this life being mended is only putting off the inevitable. Jesus is after something eternal, not temporal, and that's that people would believe and their heart would be changed. The father wants to validate that it wasn't just coincidental that his son gets better. This isn't a place of lack of faith. This is actually doing the opposite. The next step in that journey, crisis faith, to that of, uh, con- um, what was my other word? Oh, I forget my other word. But this is the word confirmed faith. He wants to make sure, at what time did my son start feeling better? It's not at all to undermine what Jesus said. It's to confirm, and that's the time when I was talking to Jesus. This causes him to put his faith in him. And look what this produced. It produced belief. The kind that John tells us at the end of the book was the purpose of all of Jesus' miracles then and still today. Look at these words again from John 20. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but watch, but these. These, like the man's son being healed, will at the brink of death, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, what's the net effect? You may have life in his name. Note that John is counting. He's saying this is the second sign. He's going to use that word, right? Not just miracles, not just powers, sign. These are leading to something because they're leading to faith. This is the second. But what I really want to leave you with today is who believed. You see, it wasn't just the nobleman, the official. It wasn't just his son, which that would have caused the the person who has had a miraculous healing, you would assume would cause the sense of what has happened. 
but we read it, and his whole household believed. Everyone who was aware of the son's deadly sickness, everyone who was aware that they had said, go gather the family, he's not gonna be here much longer, everyone who saw and heard something miraculous happen, all of them placed their faith, their belief, their trust in the Savior who did so. That was always the purpose. And so lastly, a crisis faith leads to a confident faith. That's a word I couldn't remember. It leads to a confirmed faith and then leads to a contagious faith. That's a great sequence. We come to God in crisis. Something he says or does gives us a sense of confidence. We walk away, we see that faith confirmed and then we wanna share that news with everyone. You know what's interesting? At Trinity Church, we don't think the only way that God brings people to himself is through those supernatural strategic relationships that God has placed people in. But we do think it's the most consistent way he does. What's wild about this, the official didn't have to go home and pound everyone over the head. You need to believe in Jesus too because they'd seen it with their own eyes. And what they needed to know at that point wasn't what happened, but who made it happen. And that's what he shared with them. Let me tell you who did this for our son. What was so powerful to me last weekend, if you were here with us or watched online, is when Anthony came up at the end of Bill's message and shared how God had just really placed on his heart the well-being and the benefit of his three brothers. And it moved him to ask them, would you like to go through a, a study with me, a Christianity explored together? Can I tell you something that's absolutely true? I could have walked up to Anthony's brothers and said, hey, why don't we do Christianity explored? And they'd have said, nah, who are you? But see, God used their brother that they know deeply loves them that they know deeply cares for them and has only their best interests in mind. God used their brother to be the beginning point for them to take seriously who Jesus is and to ultimately realize they needed to place their faith in him. Simple question for you today, who are the Zacharies? Who are the Gregories? Who are the Jeremies that God has placed you among? that would be willing, would be actually interested in getting to know this Jesus that you love, that's changed your everything, and be willing to do so because they know you love them. Sometimes God uses miracles to draw people and families to himself. Other times, he simply uses the truth of his word encased in loving, caring people. Our now what statement today, take Jesus at, it, at his word by believing in what he's communicated to you in his word. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a group of people who are so impressed, not with only Jesus' power, but with his love, with his compassion, with his kindness. We're also impressed by this man's faith, who just in this one encounter with you was all he needed to say, I'm gonna take you at your word, I'm gonna start walking home. Jesus, there are things that you have promised to us in the Gospels 
that we have not necessarily taken to heart, that we have not necessarily put our belief, our faith into, and we vacillate. We wonder if that's really true or we wonder if you're really going to be good for that. In the things that you have promised us, give us a confident faith. Give us a confirmed faith. Give us a contagious faith that we would truly take you at your word for what you've told us in your word. If you're here today with us inside the worship center, out on the pavilion or watching online, and you've never yet taken Jesus at his word that he came to provide a way for you to be saved, for you to be rescued, then I gotta tell you that's step one. That's where it all begins. And I want to invite you today, even in this space, would you respond to this amazing invitation of love and kindness and forgiveness? A, would you admit that you're a sinner who needs a savior? B, would you believe that Jesus is the only savior available, a rabbi who can heal people, a rabbi who teaches like no one else, but a savior who dies on a cross in your place, bearing your sin. We sang about it earlier today. It's absolutely true for you. He did that for you. See, would you choose? Would you choose to place your belief, your faith, your trust, your weight in what Jesus has accomplished, not just at the cross, but at the empty tomb? And would you begin a faith journey by saying, Jesus, I am indeed confident in what you've done for me I want to live my life following you. Father, we love you. Thank you for a time together today to gather, to be focused on who you are. Would you help us as we walk out today just to be so reminded of the power of your name, the depth of your love. We love you and we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.